0: It's time for Talking Tauntauns, your Star Wars source at AIPTComics.com.
1: Hey, what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Talking Tauntauns, the official Star Wars podcast for AIPTComics.com. I am JJ Travers and I'm joined this morning, as always, by Connor Christensen and Jim Lahane. just want to start off by saying uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, uh, no matter what you celebrate. We hope you had a safe and happy holiday and hopefully, you know, a good New Year's. Uh, we know it's been a really tough year for everybody and we hope this podcast brings you, you know, some measure of fun and relief uh, during these trying times. As always, we're really excited to talk about Star Wars with you today. And we're going to start off before we get into uh, our post Mandalorian talk in comics by talking about our Christmas gifts because I, I believe all of us got some cool stuff for Christmas. Uh but before we get to that Jim Merry Christmas my friend how are you today
0: I'm doing all right woke up with a headache um but uh yeah it's uh, been remodeling season season in the house um remodeling season has been going for 5 years straight so it's it's a long season
1: um but
0: uh when it's on a bathroom you try to get those done as quickly as possible because apparently people use those
1: Yeah Jim is uh moving out uh
0: my way we are we officially announced we are moving to the finger lakes of new york so uh trying to trying to find a house but we're not moving until june so
1: that's a, a weird lag in time connor you're going to be our only non east coaster Was said that's right <clears throat> oh
2: <clears throat> yeah uh i will continue to be the Lone West Coaster on this podcast. It's fine. It's chill. It's cool. I love getting up at eight thirty on the weekends to record.
1: So Connor, uh, does your lady friend listen to our show?
2: God, I hope not. Okay. <laughs> have you told her about the show? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think she does. I have. To, gonna-
1: I have to ask because uh, I would like you to tell everyone about your holiday experience. What What you were uh, forced into over Zoom.
2: For those of you who don't know, there is a, um, a, a global pandemic happening right now, and it stops in-person gatherings from happening because they're dangerous, which means that uh, most Christmas parties have gone virtual and they're done over Zoom, which is uh, horrible and awkward no matter what, because I've long said that a, uh, a Zoom happy hour is just a meeting with alcohol. Um, and if you can't drink, which I am not drinking at the moment – Uh, A digital happy hour over Zoom is nothing but a meeting that you don't want to go to. So I went to uh, my partner's um, virtual holiday bingo, and I had to sit through a bunch of drunk tax accountants playing bingo for about two and a half hours. I am all
1: in for bingo. I'm there. I actually used to take my uh, nana to bingo and she had one of these like <laughs> serious I had no idea how serious bingo was until I went with her but her and all these other old ladies rolled in with these bags that they had these like um... it's like all almost like an ammo clip of stamps <laughs> <laughs> and I and I didn't realize how serious they took it there's some serious money that you can make at at, at bingo um, but yeah, Connor, you're, you're a very good guy for doing that because that is just my nightmare.
2: Well, I remember she asked me and I promise people we'll get into star Wars, but like she asked me a couple of weeks ago, if I want, like, would you like to go? And immediately I went, no, that sounds, I blatantly told her like, that sounds terrible. Like I no no, I don't even want to go to my own company's virtual holiday party, which by the way, my company did stand-up comedy over Zoom, and guess what? It was horrifically awkward.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad that that's not a thing at my work.
2: Dude, I felt so... The guy who did it, you could tell, like, probably in a normal comedy club would do great. But, like, it just didn't transfer to Zoom, and I felt so terrible for him. Uh, it just... It, basically, guys, I don't know if you know this. These are trying times. But we need to stop trying to do holiday parties during these trying times, because they suck. Just give your employees a little bit of extra money or give them another day off.
1: That's Merry, all we need. Merry Christmas from Talking Tauntauns. We, we hope that that story filled you guys
0: with joy. I'm all in favor of just eliminating holiday parties whatsoever. Like I, did. Uh, they're they're absolutely awful. Uh, I have no
1: complaint I, about my job. They they're sending us all HomePod Minis. So keep it up, job. Both, uh,
0: both
2: The Job and Steve Jobs.
1: Yes. Uh, but yeah, speaking of gifts, Jim, why don't you uh, tell us any fun, exciting Star Wars gifts this year?
0: What can you get? for Christmas when he already owns a cone. Yes. I did have a lot of, I had a lot of Star Wars gifts because um, as listeners of the show know, I like Star Wars and I like dinosaurs. And generally, that's all I get for Christmas gifts are. And and this year was no different. I also like books, and so my mom will get me books. And so this year, I got Star Wars books and other Star Wars stuff, including I now have a complete set of the uh, Republic of Tea tea uh, canisters. <laughs> um, they are very cool. I, I bought the, the child tea myself a couple weeks ago. And my wife got me the other two for Christmas. The child tea is absolutely atrocious. Um, It is a green tea (laughs) with like orange flavoring, which if you like citrus in your tea, that sounds great. I find it absolutely um, horrendous. And uh, I will still drink it because I'm that type of person that has to uh, consume everything uh, in my house, regardless if I like it or not, because I do not waste food.
1: Oh man, who would have thought that Yoda's species doesn't make good tea? Yeah, that's it's really weird. Um, it's, it's, it's kinda perfect. appropriate in a way.
0: <laughs> it's it's actually tastes like mud. Um like grassroot uh, grub tea. No. Um also I got several books. Uh Poe Dameron Freefall. Nice. Uh, the Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark, which are um I believe not all uh, adaptations of the uh, several of the Clone Wars episodes, but it may have other um, stories in there. I haven't gotten to it yet. Nice. Uh, 3D owner's guide of the Millennium Falcon. Wow. Nice.
1: Someone got spoiled. I did.
0: The Legends of Luke Skywalker, the manga which I'm actually Ooh. looking forward to. I love the manga adaptations, especially after the Lost Stars adaptation. I didn't um, know that.
1: that I, I have last, uh, Lost Stars, but I didn't know that Luke thing existed. That this, looks cool.
0: This one's fairly new, and they're coming out with more. Um, And Droidography, which is also a fun book. But the best gift of all was my child was flipping through the Amazon wish list book, which since Toys R Us went belly up, you don't get the big book of toys at Christmas. Amazon yeah, kind of took over. Loved those as a kid. I know the Amazon took over, and somehow we ended up on the kids' mailing list for these. And so she I, she picked out what she wanted to get me. We they, we even they even ripped out the pages of the Star Wars stuff, so I wouldn't know what it was at all. And they got me, or my my child basically got me. My oh. wife ordered it.
1: <laughs> That's it was the, awesome. The Boba Fett
0: uh, Lego helmet build. So you build it, and it com- basically comes out to look like Boba Fett's helmet, and uh, yeah, it's really cool. I'm, I'm super super excited to get the get to do this. It's only 600 pieces, so it'll probably take me like a, like an hour or two to do, but it will then live on as a sculpture of Lego in my in my office. So
2: that is awesome.
0: Very cool. That, is, that was choice
2: cool. from from the the wife and child.
0: Yeah, that's
1: a She's, nice family right there. Yeah,
0: she did good. She knew she's like I knew you didn't have this, and um, so that uh, she's like, and she knew I liked Boba Fett, so that uh, worked out well.
1: All right, Connor, what do you got? So
0: I actually, for
2: the first time, didn't get many Star Wars gifts. The only Star Wars gift I got was this shirt from my mom. That was, it was kind of a joke shirt because it is very clearly something she got as a Facebook ad from some sketchy third-party seller. And it's this really terrible – I actually have it right here. Give me a second. Good podcasting. This is good radio. Here it is. Okay. Um, this really terrible, like, Baby Yoda jersey. I don't know if you guys can see it. <laughs> we
1: can, yeah.
0: It says no coffee, no worky, and has a uh, Baby Yoda holding a coffee mug. I rather enjoy that one, actually. I don't think okay. it's terrible at all. Here's why it's
2: terrible. I don't mind the designer logo. It is the consistency of a, like, cheap, like, youth soccer jersey.
1: I was going to say, um, when you moved it past the very bright window behind you, I I was like, oh, I can see through that very easily. It's yeah! almost not there.
2: <laughs> so that thing is going to, I'll just say it, that thing's going to chafe the living hell out of my nips. Um, so I'm gonna have to wear band aids, or I'm gonna bleed through that shirt, like I'm uh, Andy from the Office. But uh, I got it, and I started laughing, and I was like, "Mom, you got this off of a Facebook ad, didn't you?" She's like, "Yeah, it's pretty terrible, huh?" I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, "Love you," but no. So that was that was the lone uh, Star Wars gift I got. And then let me grab the other ones. Sorry, I, I, sh- I should have grabbed these before the show.
1: You should have grabbed it before the show. Uh, jim and i have ours prepared by our computers everyone
2: okay so these these are not gifts that i received these are my little brother who's gonna be listening to this he loves star wars as much as i do and i you know i knew he wanted something star wars related for christmas so i asked him well like you know what if i got you books would you read them He was like oh absolutely so i got him i got him alphabet squadron uh and then all three Thrawn books. Thrawn, Thrawn Allegiances, and Thrawn Treason. But then I was like, well...
0: Alliances.
2: Sorry. Yes, Alliances, not Allegiances. <laughs> my bad. I'm not good at reading.
1: I saw Jim's face the second you said it. I was like, oh, oh no.
2: But I, I realized, I'm like, well... Oh, and I also got a Myth and Fables. But I realized, I'm like, well, I don't want him to read these books and then go to talk to me about them and me not know. So... Merry Christmas to myself. I bought myself all four books as well.
1: <laughs> um, I'm really proud of you, buddy. We'll have you on the Star Wars book club yet.
2: And I'm I, I started reading Thrawn immediately. And I am already about a quarter of the way through. It is absolutely fantastic. I am I get books now. I'm into books. Um but yeah, I, I'm hoping to finish up Thrawn before Light of the Jedi comes out. Um then get Light of the Jedi done and then get back into Thrawn, but yeah, that was weirdly this year was uh light on the Star Wars gifts.
0: Oh, Light of the Jedi was a great book. Oh.
1: Somebody yes, got Jim it, read early. it early. We all almost... <laughs> Yeah, I finished it last week. All right. <laughs> I'll show you guys my small collection. Uh so my mom gave me um three Star Wars, oh four technically. They're all small, but uh I find them all very useful and delightful. So this is the first one a Baby Yoda hand sanitizer for my car. <laughs> I told her just offhandedly, we were talking on the phone while I was getting out of the car the other day, and I was like, man, I really should keep a uh, hand sanitizer in my car for when I'm out and about. And one of the first things she gave me, gives me is this little hand sanitizer with Baby Yoda on it. So it's cool because it's it's a case that I can hang wherever, and uh, once it's out, I can just pop a new one in there. Uh, so I thought that was very like thoughtful and, and uh, really cool. Well, it's just fun. Yeah. Very then, on uh, brand for 2020. Yes.
2: Very, very. That is a very 2020 gift in the best way.
1: And then she said, "Well, I wanted to get you something for your keys um that would be useful and um Is it a baby Yoda hand sanitizer that attaches to your keys?" It's not. <laughs> it's a Millennium Falcon keychain that doubles uh, as a bottle opener. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I thought that was very thoughtful. Um, and then my next one that she got me was the favorite. I can't show them to you guys um, because one pair is already dirty uh, and the other are in my, um, my dresser. But she got me two pairs of socks. Um, I'm a big fan of socks. And these are awesome because in the past when people have gifted me like um, superhero or Star Wars socks, they're great, but they're like the thin everyday socks. These, um, she got me an Imperial-themed set. Um, and one that's Vader, they're like thick wool, like really warm winter socks. So I was stoked about that. I actually, um, when I go to celebration, I'll buy a
0: stance socks, which are like the high quality, like you feel like you're wearing like slippers sort of socks. Um, and they're like really nice and they're still some of my favorite socks. Like I'll, I'll throw on a pair of those just to wear around the house.
2: Remember when you were a kid, you would get socks, and it was like the, ugh, gift. I have a
0: 10-year-old, and we threatened her with socks and underwear, and it is amazing the visceral reaction that you'll get from a child when you threaten to give them socks for Christmas. You you truly
2: know you're an adult when you open up socks and or underwear, and your non-ironic, genuine reaction is, oh, hell yeah.
1: Yeah, like. I, I couldn't have been happier with, with those. <laughs> and um, I just unpacked like all my winter clothes last week and swapped out you know, my ankle socks for my winter socks. And I was like, man, a lot of these winter socks got to go in the trash because they're so worn through. So this is perfect. Uh, nice. And then my fiance got me a couple of things, each one more nerdier than the last, um, from various different franchises and such. Uh, but the Star Wars gift she gave me, I'm thrilled about uh, Jim, it's a book and one that you might not have. Mm. It's oh. The Art of the Mandalorian. And as you guys can see uh, from me holding it up, it's quite quite big. It's a nice yeah. coffee table-sized book. And um, something that everyone who, who watches the show will know is that at the end of the episode, you get uh, a, a little treat from the art department with their um, their storyboards. And I always... Am like, you know, those are gorgeous. I would love to see more of that. And I always comment to her about how much I love those. So, being the super thoughtful person that she is, she got me the art book. And, um, I (laughs) was after the eighth time of
0: you mentioning it, she went, Fine,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I get the hint. Well, I didn't even think about, um, you know, the fact that they would have this out already, but it's awesome i was flipping through it on on christmas and there's so many cool drawings in here and and it's just cool seeing like um you know this is a big part of the process behind um creating these scenes and moments and characters and it's so cool to see a lot of the concept art um that didn't make it in and a lot of stuff that you can tell was influenced by ralph mcquery and who knows maybe some of these unused drawings and characters one day will be used in other star wars projects
2: it's very rad very rad. I need to step up my art book game. I have no art books. I'm gonna like lose. You know
1: where to start, man. Ralph McQuarrie.
2: I know I want that set so bad.
1: It's not it's, a cheap set.
2: It's almost like it was brought up on a previous episode and I have family who listens and they didn't even get it for me. I'm just kidding. My parents nailed it on Christmas. <laughs> non Star Wars gift, <laughs> a but I just very quick correction.
1: <laughs> well, I just want to bring this
2: up because I know he's gonna listen, he's gonna complain, and now he's on Discord, so he's gonna complain about it on Discord too. My dad got me for anyone who's a football fan like and like I mean like a football fan cuz this is kind of a deep cut my dad got me a custom Blake Bortles Denver Broncos jersey for those of you wow. who don't know Blake Bortles was the starting quarterback for the Jacksville Jaguars a few years ago. He led uh, UCF to a couple undefeated seasons in college. He, was he had like three good seasons, but then the the Jaguars let him go. He signed with the Rams as a backup quarterback. He got let go by the Rams, and now he is on the Denver Broncos practice squad. Oh. I love Blake Bortles. Like He's a really funny dude. He's just like a very like normal guy who happens to play football so when he got signed by the broncos onto their practice squad i was like oh my god i need a blake Bortles jersey and my dad actually got me one
0: that's really funny
2: totally not star wars but the funniest gift ever in the best way
0: the only thing i know about blake Bortles is from the good place and if you've ever watched the good place he comes up frequently um yeah, yeah. Like you have to. Well, Good Place is an absolutely fantastic show, and uh, he 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 gets mentioned quite frequently because one of the uh, one of the the guys in the Good Place is a, a fan of the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> That's
2: awesome. That's I really I still funny. need to watch the Good Place, but anyway, that um, non Star Wars gift, but just made me laugh so hard, and I can't wait to wear it today because uh, it's NFL Sunday. Um, but also, one more thing I forgot is my um, sister's boyfriend got me a, a Lego gift card, because him and I constantly talk about Star Wars Legos together. Um, so that's nice, but the only thing that kind of sucks right now is the Lego store, in terms of the Star Wars section, has basically nothing in stock right now.
0: Oh, so, hold on. If you were looking at potential Legos, may I recommend <laughs> the, the Boba Fett uh, build helmet? I hear that they are fantastic.
2: Well, they're coming out with a new X-wing build and a new tie fighter build that are more affordable. Um usually the like the Poe Dameron X-wing, whether you get the one from the Force Awakens or you get it from the Rise of Skywalker, those are around like 90 bucks. Actually, the Poe Dameron one from Force Awakens, the black one is out of production, so that one's actually like 180 now. Um but like tie fighters too, the only tie fighter they've done recently is the one from Solo and it's also that one enormous yeah, and that one it went out of production shortly after the film and even though it's this one is that one is like 700 pieces, it re- it goes for like 220 bucks now. Um so they're releasing affordable versions of each that are around like 500 pieces and I'm trying to decide if I want to get the X-wing and ha- but then I'd have a third X-wing or do I want to get the tie fighter and start building up an imperial fleet.
0: I, I had heard I had heard somewhere that Instead of uh, if you had invested in Lego sets in like the 90s and early 2000s, you would actually have a better return on your investment than if you invested in the stock market um, because Lego sets have actually gone up for more value than the stock market has. That's kind of incredible.
2: <laughs> it's almost like comic books, except there's less intentional scarcity with Legos. Like you know like with comic books, or like, like – especially like they'll, they'll be like, oh, we'll release a number one because it will bump up sales and it'll become a collector's item. Lego doesn't – has that same thing, but they don't do it as intentionally as much. It's just they have limited production runs and then all of a sudden like a set that retailed for 60 bucks now is like 200 bucks because you can't find it anywhere. Like the Ghost Lego set, which is not that big. It's awesome from what I've heard, but it's like maybe 600 pieces. That thing retailed at like, pff, I think sixty bucks. You can't find it for less than four hundred dollars now. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, um, I love Legos. I can't wait to build them with a future kid one day, and uh, <laughs> or one you find on the street. <laughs> I'm, kid, over- come I'm gonna avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, my my best friend's daughter. He started to get her into Legos and Star Wars Legos. Um, and yeah, I look forward to being able to enjoy that one day with a future child. So yeah, Star Wars Legos, great gift idea. Uh, but we got to move on here cause we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, so we're going to talk one piece of news before we start talking about Mandalorian. So, uh, the big, you know, The season finale for Mandalorian season two uh, left us with about a million questions, uh, which we're going to talk about. But before we do, um, the episode ended, as we talked about last episode of this show, uh, with Boba Fett and Fennec Shand uh, taking over um, Jabba the Hutt's former palace that was now being run by a very large Bib Fortuna. uh, And then it closed out saying, you know, the Book of Boba 2021. And everyone went crazy wondering what it was. Well, Disney only made us wait, I think, three days before they officially announced via the Star Wars Twitter uh, that The Book of Boba Fett will be a new original series uh, starring uh, Tamora Morrison and Ming-Na Wen, executive produced by John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and Robert Rodriguez, set within the timeline of The Mandalorian, and is coming to Disney Plus in December 2021. So um, this
0: is four overlapping shows that we have now set all at the same exact time, all culminating in the Star Wars Defenders. (laughs) I don't know if this is culminating in that, but the other three supposedly are.
1: Uh, Yeah, so prior to the announcement, we didn't know if it was going to be a film, if it was a series, if it was an anthology or something else entirely, but now we know it's going to be a series series. Uh, there's no word on how many episodes, if this is planned to be a one and done, we really don't know. Um, but I mean, with who's starring in it and who's producing, I can't wait. We've got, um, you know, two guys that have delivered two of the best seasons and overall just content of star Wars under Disney's umbrella. And then Robert Rodriguez is just fantastic. Um, big fan of him. And I'm a big fan of both the actors, so I can't wait for this.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited and interested to see. Obviously, uh, Filoni and Favreau being involved is awesome and huge. But I was most excited, like, oh, Robert Rodriguez is heavily involved uh, as well. Um, and he did, you know, he directed the episode where Boba truly returns and like announces that he's he's back. Um, so I want to see. More of the Robert Rodriguez flavor in this show. Um, I think Robert Rodriguez knows how to balance sincerity and campiness very well. He's kind of the best at balancing that. I would say, like he's up there with like Quentin Tarantino, where it's like it's just the perfect amount of campy. And I think that's exactly what you want in Star Wars. Um, so I I hope that he is doing more than executive producing. Um, but either way, it's good to get those questions answered uh, because. I honestly thought that, like, oh, I guess I thought the Mandalorian season three was going to be the book of Boba, um, and I'm kind of glad to see it's not. Not that we're going to get more of Din Djarin. so that is also nice. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, good to get a
0: little little details on this.
1: Uh, Jim is our resident Boba Fett super fan. How did you feel about this?
0: I was super excited. Um, it kind of like it's what I had assumed was coming because it didn't make any sense that the Mandalorian would be the third season would be the book of Boba Fett when the Mandalorian is the Mandalorian and right in the episode they said Boba Fett you're not a Mandalorian he goes yeah who cares Um, and so it doesn't make any sense that the show would switch to Boba Fett and so that's why I initially assumed this would be its own TV series and that's exactly what it turns out to be Uh, I'm super I love Boba Fett and I think Robert Rodriguez really nailed it in his episode and after watching the Disney gallery on season two uh, which we'll get into. They, I kind of, I know more about Robert Rodriguez now than I did before, and I, I really like him. Like he seems like a generally cool dude. Uh, and the last thing that um, they announced on the the Star Wars official post is that they said specifically that the Mandalorian, I assume season three. Oh yeah, season three of the Mandalorian will go into production next year, uh, meaning 2021. And so that kind of gives credence that we're not going to get a Mandalorian season next year because it does take them like they usually have about a year from uh, filming the episodes to release and if they're not going into production until next year maybe they are skipping a year on the Mandalorian and doing the Book of Boba since the Book of Boba Fett's coming out in December and so maybe um, maybe we're not going to get a Mandalorian season three next year.
1: And, I'm, you know, I'm actually okay with that uh, because if, if Favreau and Filoni are the two guys that made season one and two happen and they're focused on making of Boba uh, happen with Robert Rodriguez, I'd rather they let them focus on one thing at a time and not spread them th- too thin uh, because it's clear that when they are focused on a project together uh that it's worth the wait. So, I'm I'm perfectly okay with that. As cool as it would be to have both in and, and uh one year. You know, I'd rather they take their time and and got it right and didn't rush it out.
2: And I think it's it is showing that Disney is actually learning from the mistakes with the films and instead of just being like we're going to turn out another one now. It's good to see that they're taking their time. They're realizing like let's give everyone a break from mandalorian let's let's make sure people really want it by the time it comes back out again it does make me a little worried because that would potentially put push mandalorian season three into 2022 and then that would be like one of three star wars shows coming out in 2022 i think between mandalorian season three and or and i feel like there's an and ahsoka i want to say um but still I, I like that that they're they're kind of pumping the brakes and being like okay like let's take our time let's let this let's let the series breathe a little bit give people this boba series to kind of tide them over and then we'll get back into Mandalorian so I think it shows that Disney is growing and learning and and learning from their mistakes with the sequel trilogy at least in terms of releasing um, and realizing like okay like we we can't Beat people over the head with this. We gotta kind of we gotta make them want it. You know, we gotta make the people crave it.
1: I don't think there's any question of that at this point. After uh, the Mandalorian season two, I think everybody is really ready for more. Uh, and before we start talking about you know the biggest questions from the second season of Mandalorian, there was a little detail uh, from the Boba Fett scene in the season finale. Um, since we're talking Book of Boba Fett that I wasn't um, aware of until after, that I thought was, was really cool. Uh, not just the staff, but but that's part of it. Uh, I didn't realize that Matthew Wood was... Oh, yeah. ...who was playing Bib Fortuna. And for those of you that may not know, uh, he played Bib Fortuna in The Phantom Menace. Uh, he's also done a ton of voice acting in Star Wars, uh, he including... He
0: is basically Ben Burtt's replacement. So he is the audio producer on almost all of the Star Wars stuff within the last like couple decades. And so that's why he does the voice acting for the battle droids um it's because Grievous in uh yeah, and... Revenge
1: of the Sith. Uh so yeah, I th- I thought that was so cool that 20 almost yeah, no, 20 years later he's playing Bib Fortuna again. And as Jim mentioned, Jim, what, what you tell people about the staff?
0: Oh, the staff! So, in the the um, the end credit scene, he's holding a looked like a um like a braided wood staff with a, kind of like a diamond opening on the top of it, which was the piece that came with the figure of Bit Fortuna. And this isn't the only time we've gotten um figures with random stuff like the Yoda figure back in the the early eighties came with a, a snake. Um, and so like the figures oftentimes would have random pieces that we never seen in the movies and this staff was never seen in the movie. Um, and so that was the, uh, the kind of the Easter egg that they, they included this staff with Bit Fortuna, even though, um, this is its first uh, actual appearance from the, uh, in Canon, um, from the, from the figure, which is kind of like one of those things that, you know, these people love Star Wars. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a really nice little touch, uh, and I wasn't aware that that was Matt Wood. Uh, I thought that was such a cool thing for them to do, and as you said, just that little Easter egg—you know—that that got included because these people just love it.
2: Yeah, I hope if we if we end up getting Darth Vader again in like the Cassian and Andor series, I hope instead of just having a cape, he has like a cape and a cowl, like he did in the the like first toys they released. I don't know if you guys ever noticed that. It always throws me off when I see that toy from the '70s. That like, he doesn't just have a cape. He has like a cape and like it's not like a Batman cowl. It's closer to like a Dracula cowl.
0: Yeah, so the, should... the the thing that goes around the back yeah, of
2: his head. Yeah. So give. I hope if we get Darth Vader, give give us a non. Give him a dope cowl.
1: Hold that hope, buddy. Anything could happen in Star Wars. This year has has really proved that to me. When one chooses to walk the way of the Mandalore. You are both hunter and prey. This is the way. This is the way.
0: This is the way.
1: Yeah, so speaking of Mando and Easter eggs, uh, you know, last episode we talked about the season finale of The Mandalorian 2, and now that we've all kind of had time to digest and watch it again, uh, there is a lot of questions of what is going to happen with not only Season 3, but. Uh, the slew of characters that are now uh, we know some of them are getting their own series. We highly suspect a lot of them will be in a lot of these series, including the Mandalorian season three. Uh, So we wanted to talk a little bit about that as well as um, Disney followed suit again with the second season and released, uh, they're releasing a gallery series. So if you haven't seen the, the Mandalorian gallery series, um, it was released after the first season, and it is basically a behind the scenes look on how they created The Mandalorian. And it takes you through episodes that are focused on different parts of the production. There's, uh, you know, the art department, props, costumes, uh, the directors, um, the voice actors, the. Uh, The set and the filming uh, and you get to listen to people like Dave Filoni talk about his love for Star Wars and explain to people uh, big moments from the series, which that alone to me was that one moment of listening to him talk about Qui-Gon and Anakin and Darth Maul was worth it uh, out of all of that. Um, And they followed suit with the second season and released the first episode. Uh, So thank you, Jim, for reminding me because I would have missed it.
0: Yeah, in regards to that, I don't think this is the first episode. I think this is it.
1: Um Oh, really?
0: Yeah, it's like the first season of Disney Gallery was 8 episodes long. And I think if you add up all the runtime of that, it actually was longer than the Mandalorian because those episodes, those episodes were long in depth and some of them were absolutely fantastic. Like learning about the volume itself was, um, if you don't watch any of it, just watch the volume episode to find out how they did all this stuff. And it still blows your mind that they, they were able to achieve almost all of those sets inside a studio, regardless of what, where they were like across the galaxy. Um, and the second season of the gallery has only released one episode, but the way it's framed seems like this is all we're getting. And it's more of a one hour overview of the entire season where they kind of go episode by episode, jumping director to director across the, the season. And it's, it's fun. It's a good behind the scenes. It's nothing mind blowing. Like the first season of the gallery was though, it was just, it was just a nice like behind the scenes thing. And they, Actually, if you watch it, you come to a very notable absence that they didn't mention at all at the end of the the run, which is really weird that they didn't bring up. um, And now if you haven't watched The uh, Mandalorian, you probably want to tune out for two seconds. um, They didn't bring up Luke Skywalker at all. I I, I
1: think that was, I, I mean, I know that that was purposeful. It had
0: to be purposeful, but it was like, who's watching the second season of Disney Gallery and not having watched the entire season of the actual show?
1: Well, part of me uh, wonders... Well, there's a there's a lot of questions there, but uh, one I had is, like, are they going to devote an entire episode to talking about either Luke and his involvement and, like, how the story got there? Or are they going to do something like, you know, biggest moments or biggest Easter eggs because you had Ahsoka and Luke in the same season, as well as um, Boba and Fennec Shan, So my thinking there was kind of like they could do a whole episode just about like these big, exciting character reveals.
2: Yeah, I didn't watch it, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all of our listeners. I'm the worst.
1: Oh, Connor just shared a a helpful tweet, though, um, on Christmas... Take a look behind the scenes of the second season. Disney Gallery the Mandalorian was back with an all-new special making season two. So the way that they frame it here, it kind of does sound like this is one and done.
2: Which is a bit of a bummer because that first season, like we talked about, was awesome. But as Jim pointed out, and I'm pretty sure he's right, the, the, the gallery was longer than the actual Mandalorian series. So... I don't know how much more you can do because it's like, all right, well, we already know how the volume volume works. We already know a lot of these directors' perspectives on Star Wars, um, so I understand why they were like, you know what, let's just do one, you know, hour long special this time.
0: Uh, so I said I would like I would liked more. Um just a little more in depth because Robert Rodriguez wasn't involved in the first season. So you got to, you can get new perspectives and this, um this episode had a lot of Bryce in it, um, which is great. I, I, I really enjoy uh, hearing Bryce talk about Star Wars. Um, she's fantastic. And you're right, JJ, they could have gone into a ton of other stuff like Luke and Ahsoka and bringing these, um, these new, these new to live action TV characters that, they didn't have in the first season. So how do you tie in this old material into the new material? And I think we also had to wait a lot longer before it came, it came out with something like they came out with this stuff on was May the 4th was the first uh, episode of the the gallery. Um, whereas this one was not even a week, not even a week later.
1: Perhaps on the inverse of that is because Ahsoka and Boba are getting their own series. And because the Luke moment was the Luke moment. They don't want to give anything away there because we know there's more coming for Boba and Ahsoka, so maybe it's difficult for these folks to talk about those without giving away what's coming.
0: True, and assuming that the the child, Grogu, is coming back into the show at some point, which the Mandalorian is built on the child. Like we've even said it, that the child is the main star of the show, despite it being called the Mandalorian, that they can't get rid of him altogether. He has to be coming back at some point, especially for all the, the people that are watching the show, just for the child. Um I assume once the child comes back, Luke needs to be somewhere in that um encompassing. It's just the child can't just show up one day and went, I, I ran away from home.
2: There was this boy and he had black silken flowing hair and he seemed angry and he burnt the thing down. So I came and I found you, Dan.
1: Before we move on from the gallery, I I do want to say how cool it was to see them using the, um, uh, the the volume to create how I I loved how they talked about creating Boba's ship, the interior of his ship and showing how it rotated Yes. That was actually
0: one part I missed during the actual episode. I didn't catch that. That's what they were doing. And then when they showed it, like, they're like, we went real in depth on this and how the center pod rotates independently of the ship because the ship rotates around it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't even catch that. And the amount of like, how much just money do you think it would have taken them to figure this out? And um enact it all because they were set, sitting there going, Well, how is this little pod in the center of the ship gonna like how are they gonna sit in there when the ship's rotating around to them How is that gonna work? mind blowing that they would go to this level of detail,
1: you know a- again, labor of love, that's what this said to me. um, and it was just cool listening to them talk about the history of boba and seeing. Robert R- Rodriguez talk about how he took like something that was supposed to be like a 3 minute fight action sequence and I think he said he turned it into like a 9 or 13 minute sequence and it all started with him uh in his backyard with his sons wearing stormtrooper and uh Mandalorian helmets and pointing with like nerf guns at each other and he edited in laser shots and then for like explosions he had Stormtrooper action figures in his fingers, like twirling through the air. And he was like, I sent it to Dave Filoni. He's like, Wait a minute, are, are those? And he he was dead serious about this. Like, this was the vision. He got like so excited about it that he had his sons help him fin- film this in his backyard. And he sent it to Filoni. He's like, This is what I'm thinking. And Filoni was like, Wait a minute, are those action figures? And Art Rodriguez was like, Yeah, I'm sorry. It's all I had. And he's like, No, no, no. This, this makes it amazing this is this is why i'm excited about it
0: just the fact that i was laughing hysterically because he has his kids his like i did he i didn't see it here if he said how old they were but they look probably about 10 years old these little kids wearing these stormtrooper helmets and robert rodriguez going around with a mandalorian helmet or a boba fett helmet like taking these kids out and the way he edited it it looked <laughs> yeah. like he's beating these kids up but can you imagine the amount of fun like he is having with his children like making this because they're like all like like he's pretending to hit them and they're flying away and it, it was absolutely hysterical and like yeah, it, gave it me really a good was. like father vibe in the whole thing because just the way like the whole circumstances like
1: that's it, it, one it was, of the
0: reasons that I like my my perspective like I don't know much about him but like all of a sudden I'm like you're an awesome dude.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it it was very endearing to him, but it was also just like this is a big part of Star Wars, enjoying it with your family and like different generations loving it. And it's like, you know, I want to be a dad one day. I want to do that one day. It's just it really was an awesome moment. Uh and then from that we also uh saw uh Tamora Morrison uh talking about how he took his traditional um Maori, Maori haka dance, uh, which is, you know, a very important part of, of his culture. And you see it a lot. Um, if you look on YouTube, it's a big thing in New Zealand with like, uh, everything in school and, um, um, rugby, it's, it's a very big part of their culture. Um, and to see him talk about that and see him with the stunt guys and talking to Robert Rodriguez about, using moves from his haka dance um in his fighting i was just like man that is just the coolest thing ever it was such an awesome episode if this is the only one we get i'm i'm okay with it it was great there's so many wholesome moments there's so many little details um that you see them like spending hours and hours and hours and hours on and you see it for maybe two three seconds on screen in the end But when you add up all these little moments that these people are spending hours and hours and hours on, Bryce said it, this is what makes people believe it's real. This is what adds to the immersion and makes you think like I'm there. This is a galaxy far, far away. And again, we've said it multiple times during this discussion. It's about love. These people love what they're doing and they love star Wars. And it just makes me feel really grateful and appreciative as a fan. And also, Uh, It gives me a lot of hope um, and confidence for the future of where this is going when you have people like that working on this.
0: Yeah, Bryce brought up a really interesting point that um, it it kind of where their mindset is that I, I found fascinating because she was talking about filming on the ship. And the ship is a basically a, a stage, and it's kind of what you were saying, film it as if it was real, and people will believe that it's real. Well, when you're filming on a ship, she's like, well, we could have had a crane come in. That was the initial plan, was to have a crane come in with a camera. And I, I don't know who had um, made the comment, but they said, well, like, can you get a crane if this was a real ship? would you be able to film with a crane? The answer is no, because the crane wouldn't be able to go anywhere. And she's like, if this was a real ship, you'd be filming on basically the camera up on stilts or uh, uh, something of that effect. And so that's how they filmed it because that would make it more real. And I just found like just that level of thought placed into this, like who would even think of that? Like you're just trying to make a a, a, a scene on a ship like who would think like well we can't use a crane because this if this was a real ship you can't use a crane I'm like uh oh, that's it's that's another like I love Bryce and I I think she's uh she's delightful she, she is su- super delightful just to listen to her talk about this and like how she like takes control over everything and everyone's like yeah Bryce is great we'll do whatever she asks
1: <laughs> All right um uh, so moving on to you know our biggest questions from season two before we get into like all of the where is it going from here with character x y and z um what's well, Connor let's start with you what was your favorite episode
2: ooh favorite episode is tricky because my f- my favorite moment is not in my favorite episode so f- I would say for my favorite episode um I can't remember the name of it I think it was chapter 14 the uh the tragedy. The- no, no. So it's chapter 15. The the, the, the Believer. The, yes, The Believer. That episode was fantastic. Um, it was the only episode this season, other than the second episode, that didn't seem to hinge on some sort of big character return or some sort of big Easter egg or something like that. And it was just a really, really good story about... A guy trying to right the wrongs of his past. Told... Yeah, that was the
1: Bill Burr episode. Yes, that so was... That was so, so that's an interesting episode. And I don't want to cut you off. I just want to add these two facts and then let you go. Um, that was the one of... Uh, there's eight episodes, and that was one of two that was not written by Jon Favreau. That was written and directed by Rick uh, Famayua, or Famayua? I think that's how you say his last name. Um, So he's
0: also the one who directed the prison break episode from the first step first season. Yeah. Sorry. My,
2: which was my favorite episode of last season too, weirdly enough. Um, but yeah, this, that episode was just, I, it surprised me so much because it was the, it was just like, we're bringing back this character that honestly, no one really cares that much about. Even if you love Bill Burr, like I do, um, but they brought back this character and they made him more than just this one note bad guy. You know, he and and just the amount there was more depth given to Mayfeld in that episode than, you know, half the other characters in the show. So I I thought that episode was fantastic. And I think it, it stands out to me by how surprisingly deep it was and and how surprisingly emotional it was. So that that to me was my, my favorite episode of the season. Um, but that—that's you know—that's my favorite episode in a season in which I kind of loved every episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, Uh, that was an excellent choice, and I apologize for cutting you off. I just wanted to point out that fact there because I thought it was interesting that that um you know that was one of the two. Uh, Jim, what about you? So, looking, I'm
0: giving a general overview of season two. Looking at them, I'd say probably. The last episode, I had said it at the time, and I'm probably going to stand by it, the last episode didn't really have any low points for me. And I think it just kept getting, the episode kept getting better and better, and the way that everything worked out like, was really good. Um, I didn't realize Peyton Reed uh, also had directed the last episode um, on top of his uh, other... Uh, directorial of the the passenger, which was my least favorite episode of the season, um, for reasons that shall go unnamed. White giant spiders, um, and I th- I just I thought everything worked out really well. Like um, as I've heard several times, like Luke Skywalker being uh, introduced was not a terribly giant surprise because it's what you expect, but it's what you expect. It's because it's what the story calls for, and it's what makes the most sense. And they they played up on it and I thought um, beside the awkward CGI on his face or uh, screen mapping or whatever um I thought it was uh, I thought it was the, the funnest one um but I'd, I'd say probably my second favorite would be uh, the the believer as well just for that that scene towards that um, the, the scene towards the end with them just uh, sitting around the table and
1: uh, chatting the inglorious uh, bastards homage yeah. as I took it, or comparison, whatever. Uh, yeah. The the Believer was an incredible episode. Bill Burr blew me away there. As I mean, all three of those actors during that scene were uh, unreal. Um, and The Rescue, it's hard to say this one isn't my favorite. Um, and you're right, Jim. Top to bottom, it was pretty much perfect. Um, but it's funny <laughs> that you mention it. I think my personal favorite um, was the other Peyton Reed episode, The Passenger? Um, because, you know, as amazing as these characters and these stories are, part of what I love so much about what The Mandalorian is delivering to us is these one off side quests in a galaxy far, far away. Like, we know we're going to get all these characters and big moments in this story, but I like it when they just go totally, um, off script, off the path, and deliver us these little side adventures. Uh, That's the stuff that, like, I really appreciate. And, um, yeah, I thought the alien influence and the Ralph McQuarrie, um, you know, Nod taking the characters that he created with his original concept art, the frog lady, um, you know, the eggs, the spiders, the pilots, the razor crests, Like, there's just so much about this episode that I just thought was such a fun adventure. Uh, And that's what Star Wars is, you know, for me in a lot of ways, like really fun adventures um, in a crazy sci-fi universe. So uh, I think that The Believer is probably the best all-around episode. And The Rescue is um, the most important, hands down. I don't think there's argument there. But I, had, I think I had the most just fun with The Passenger.
0: I definitely had the least fun.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of The Believer again, uh, I just remembered something my uh, the owner of my local comic shop pointed out to me. Shout out uh, Now or Never Comics. If you're in San Diego, go check it out. It's a great place. But uh, he had pointed out that if you watch that episode again, Din Jarn, when he takes his helmet off, when he turns to, to speak to Mayfeld or speak to uh, – I can't remember the Imperial's name – he doesn't turn his neck. He turns his whole body. Yeah. Because he's so used to having the helmet on where he has to turn his shoulders that he he keeps doing it, which I, I never noticed until I watched the scene again. But it's like that little commitment. And I don't know if that was a directorial choice, if that was a choice of Pedro Pascal, but just – the detail in that episode is, is amazing. And that's that same episode where we get the detail about inside slave one, where you see the interior of the ship start to rotate as the ship takes off. So yeah, uh, not to, you know, keep hammering on that episode, but it's it's just so good.
0: Yeah. Interesting note uh, about the frog lady, the actress who played the frog lady. I didn't realize this. Misty Rose, Rose's Rosa Roja. I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Um, but she also played uh, Queel, and I think she got overshadowed by that one because Queel was voiced by, um, oh, what's his name?
2: Nick Nolte.
0: Yeah, Nick Nolte. So, like, Nick Nolte was, like, credited as uh, Queel's character, but she actually played the body for him, and then she basically got her own credits for Frog Lady, and the f- fact that they still call her Frog Lady as her official title. I was going to say,
2: <laughs> that's not us making up her name, people. Frog Lady is her canonical referential name. I don't know if that's her proper name, but if you watch the movie with subtitles on and you watch the credits, she is credited as simply Frog, Frog Lady. Lady. You got to love it.
1: All right. So moving on uh to the questions that we're left with there's a lot here um but i think we should focus on um the biggest question about our lead character dinjarin so the child is gone the child arc seems to have officially closed it's what led us through two seasons of this series um he has broken the the rules that sentence you to death Uh, for his creed for his clan he captured the dark saber and is now the de facto ruler of mandalore and the mandalorian people and he doesn't want anything to do with it but what he has you know been charged with his quest is complete and we knew it was more than just a quest for him it was you know a lot more than that so I guess uh, my question for you guys is where does he go from here? Was the removal of his helmet also suggesting that he was shedding the Death Watch code and the way that he was raised? Um, They're not you know, Death Watch. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Whatever the clan was.
0: Um, I, I don't the, think we ever got an official title, but I, I did hear specifically that he is not part of Death Watch.
1: Got it. Um, but yeah, you know, where does he go from here is the question.
2: Well, I I can't remember who brought it up to me. It could have been Nick or it could have been my brother, Matt, or my brother, Carson. One of those three people mentioned it to me. But season three could sort of shift the villain role somewhat to Bo-Katan and not necessarily have her as a villain, but have it be it's it's Din and Bo kind of butting heads about the future of Mandalorian's. And Din possibly realizing, like, you know, maybe I do want to be more involved in the greater culture, and maybe I really should take the Darksaber and go rule Mandalore. I think that would be a really cool direction for the show to go and have Din go from this fatherhood role to now a, you know, leader of his people role. Um, Heartless dictator. Yeah, harsh a malevolent dictator, Din Djarin. Um But uh, yeah, and then switch and then have Bo kind of be, like I said, like for you have to have some sort of bad guy. So she would kind of be the bad guy, but more of it in, the, in the sense that she's just opposite of Din, but she doesn't have any nefarious plans. I don't know. I would like to see, I want to see the struggle for the Throne of Mandalore play out. And I want Din to be heavily involved. That's That's what I'll say.
0: I definitely see this switching to Mandalore, retaking Mandalore, and you already have the enemy. Like the enemy is who was ever in charge of Mandalore. We assume the Empire at this point, uh, the Imperial Remnant, if you will. And I really don't see Bo-Katan as an enemy whatsoever. We've been around, we've been with her for so long that I can see her having a different viewpoint and kind of butting heads. But I would never label her as the as becoming the bad guy um, whatsoever.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't. I I I don't think calling her like the villain or the bad guy is necessarily right. I'm just I I find, failing to find the right word, but just have her be opposing Din. Not necessarily make her like you. You don't necessarily root against her, but she is just the one you know pushing back against what what Din is doing and pushing back against his pursuit for the throne of Mandalore. That's that's where I'd like to see this go. Is is pit Din versus Bocatan in, like, a sort of friendly rivalry-type situation.
1: <laughs> like, friendly I'm sorry, rivalry I, I cannot, to the death. Yeah, I can't <laughs> help but laugh when you say friendly rivalry. There's no friendly rivalries between Mandalorians. There's very deadly rivalries.
2: It's like, uh, I didn't want to kill him, but I had to. But he was a nice guy. Like, that type of thing. I don't know. Um, I would like to see them kind of butt heads, though.
1: Yeah, um... I don't wanna take away uh from you know the subject at hand too much here, but I can't help but bring up since we're talking about, you know, Din and uh Bo Katan and the Darksaber, uh, did you guys see the Black Series um Darksaber that they announced? As one of the most dangerous toys of the year? Yeah, from FX uh Force FX lightsabers. Um they've made a lot of props for Star Wars in the past. It looks gorgeous, uh, but it's also $250.
2: Yikes! Um, yeah. If you're
1: interested in checking that out, you can see it on AIPTComics.com under our toys section. Um, it looks really nice.
2: It's cool, but it ain't $250 cool.
1: It also uh, can't uh, cut through bus, best car.
2: Yeah, so why even use it? Can I even use it in the kitchen? If I can't, I don't want it. At that point, I'll go buy a real Katana.
0: Which also can't cut through best car.
2: <laughs> Just so you guys know.
1: Yeah, so um, I, I don't know. I, I really need to like sit down with these questions, um, but I think you guys are pretty much in the same area that I am. Like, I think that he's going to get pulled into the politics of mandalore and be involved with recapturing it it sounds like from the imperial remnant uh at this point or it's just a glassed planet that they need to bring people back to and kind of just re um consecrate the planet and their culture and their government and their people and i think he's going to get pulled into that which means i have to imagine we're going to see uh, what happened with the Darksaber in Bo-Katan, what happened with glassing the planets, which all of those things just sounds really cool. So I wonder if they... Because if you remember Mandalore during
0: um, Rebels was basically a wasteland to begin with, with isolated domes of... habitat hab, 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 Habitats. Habidasheries. Yes, one of those, the hat makers. Um, and... I wonder if they were referring to the planet being leveled as the planet we've already seen or if even what we've seen has been leveled um, beyond that. And you have Concord Dawn, uh, which is the other planet we saw in Rebels as part of the Mandalorian um, system, Uh, if everything has kind of been moved off into a different uh, location. Because in Legends, the planet Mandalore isn't a fixed thing. The planet Mandalore is wherever the Mandalorians are residing and they're a conquering race. And so the planet Mandalore had been moved around quite a bit. And I wonder if we're going to get into that a little more um, because we all know Dave Filoni is not afraid to um, introduce Legends materials into this this, this canon.
1: So let's, uh, let's talk about our, our little green friend. Do you guys think we see him again in this series or is Grogu's time... Um, as part of The Mandalorian finished, and we're going to see him in content down the road, whether it's another film, another live action series, a comic, a book, what have you. I don't
2: know if he's going to come back in The Mandalorian. Shocker, because nobody knows. But I will say guaranteed he's in something moving forward. There's no, with how something much, live action. Yeah, with how much of a international phenomenon he became and he became synonymous with Star Wars and is synonymous with Star Wars right now, there's no way they're done with him. He's too much of a moneymaker. Um
0: too I have many- a prediction. I have a prediction right now. That's it. The next the next time we see Grogu we'll be in the Bad Batch.
1: Uh, yep. That's
0: good. That's
2: you know what?
1: Oh that's yes a, I, I, I didn't think is of a that. Great call.
2: That is spot on. He'll be like a, uh, a, a late season reveal that he squirms away from the uh, the 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 the, uh, the uh, uh, Jedi Temple. Ham Thank you. I couldn't get it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just there. I think actually, Jim, uh, that's spot on. I'd be shocked now that you brought that up. I didn't think of that, but I'd be shocked if we don't see him. But there's no way. He doesn't either come back in the Mandalorian season three to some extent or there isn't some sort of spin-off in development centered around him at the jedi at uh, Luke's Jedi temple and would like I wouldn't be surprised if they in the next I mean, I don't think it'll be any time this year. It might be a year from now. I wouldn't be surprised if they announce of a, a complete new show centered on grogu at the Jedi temple really. Um, I wouldn't be surprised because that'd be an easy vehicle to explore more of Luke's, Luke's t- training Jedi. Um, and kind of you could also kind of build in Kylo Ren's backstory a little bit more, and you know the fans would
1: eat that up. See, I think that is something that um, doesn't belong in live action in um, anything but small bits and pieces. I think that's something that you need to explore through uh, a book or a animated series. Uh, it, I just feel like that's such a, a special thing that you, because of Mark Hamill and the situation with, you know, obviously his age and having to use a stand-in and, and CGI, I just think it's too big of a ask for live action.
2: A, a, a stand-in, you say? Maybe a
0: Sebastian stand-in?
1: No, I think they that's already a pipe hired buddy, <laughs>
0: I think Sebastian Stan's already gone out the window. They already got the guy
1: yeah uh i I do not think that they would go that way. I think that's something that um you would be able to do a lot more with if you didn't do it via live action. I think it's too expensive with um and, yeah, I just I, I, I just think there's too many barriers to doing that right through a live action, so
0: I would say. Well, on whether we'll see Grogu again, Um, like I said, I predict that he'll be back in the Bad Batch, but uh, I think he will be back in the Mandalorian at some point, not right away, but he'll come back as like a um, a, a return cameo, sort of like Bill Burr. Um, And you can't stay away. And if you had asked me... Like before that investors meeting, whether they would do a TV show of Luke and Grogu, I would have said no chance would they ever do a TV show um, on that. But after the slate of 47,000 uh, shows that we're getting now based in the Star Wars universe, um, anything's possible. <laughs> like I, like literally they took Boba Fett and went, we we'll gonna make a show about boba and killing it's all about him running his criminal empire because he um bib fortuna um got a little lazy and so now boba is gonna become uh fat boba and uh take over the the hut clan
2: yeah um first of all boba fett more like boba fat am i right yeah he's back
0: (laughs) Sarm's getting, armor's getting a little tight. <laughs> it is. He was uh, looking a little chunky. He had uh, a dad bod. What hey, did, he, five he years also, trying to get his armor back.
2: Also, I'm <laughs> sure Tamora Morrison is still in fantastic shape. He's just an older man.
1: So I'm glad you actually brought that up because that brings uh, me to my next question for you guys uh, with the book of Boba Fett uh, and the you know another big question are we going to see him escaping from the sarlacc pit
2: i just want some sort i don't even need to see it i don't need a big flashback i just for the sake of curiosity just want to know how he got out i don't think it's necessarily integral you don't you honestly don't have to explain it you can just be like yeah he's back who cares but i would like to
0: know um yeah i don't think we'll see it but i think he will maybe talk about it like to somebody who cares <laughs> that he's not out to kill I'm um, like yeah how did he get out of that that hole in the ground like well this is how it happened
2: if if they don't explain it my headcanon is gonna be the robot chicken episode where he just flies out back from the dead <laughs> that's gonna be my headcanon
1: so Cobb Vanth wore Boba's armor for five years been clearly Boba knew where it was. So is that something else you think they'll address? Why he didn't take it back from Vanth? Do you guys think that maybe Vanth was part of um, him getting out of the Starlak pick? I wonder if he actually knew the armor was there. Because remember when
0: Din Djarin was looking for the town, they said the town was gone. And so I'm wondering if that town on the edge of nowhere was not even known about in regards to anything else on the planet. Like it was kind of forgotten town and you have a sheriff who potentially is just trying to get away from it all, uh, in a forgotten place. And he just happened to find this armor, um, find, uh, this armor. And so let's, it may be, he was legit looking for the armor for five years, but not like, like super on the hunt, but you have an entire planet. Like imagine like on earth planets, a big place. Regardless of how Star Wars seems to make things seem like anything on a planet is like, oh, just around the block.
2: Well, I've been thinking about it, too. What are the chances that this Book of Boba show is more of an anthology that is going to be most – not maybe an anthology is not the right word. But like what are the chances that a lot of this show is just Boba Fett telling stories about what he was up to while searching for the armor?
1: I don't think uh, there's a very good chance of that because why have <laughs> him, <laughs> why have him and Fennec Shand bust in, kill Bib Fortuna, take over the former seat of Jabba the Hutt in the you know the top of the criminal underground, um, the em- top of the criminal empire for Tatooine, and then not do anything with that? I feel like that would be crazy. He
0: puts his feet up on a back, laying at his chair lights the fireplace
1: yes. and he died peacefully in his sleep and <laughs> lived happily ever after yeah
0: he
2: just ate and drank for about 15 years and that was that no i smoke I, I, his I, pipe i think it could be like an a and like the a plot will be the present and the b plot will be the the past i think i wouldn't be surprised if that's what this show ends up being that we get Half the show is devoted to what he's doing as the new, you know, leader of this criminal uh, syndicate. And the other half of the show is what was he up to the five years between his death and getting the armor back? Oh, sorry. His death quotations.
1: Guess we'll see. All right. uh, One last question for you guys before we move on here. What happens with Moff Gideon? Republic prison he may actually that may actually
0: tie into the Rangers of the New Republic uh, series where uh, um, and maybe even Ahsoka with Thrawn where he he, I can't imagine he's not dead I can't imagine he won't come back but uh, maybe prison break uh, two.
2: yeah I I think I think Jim is spot on that this will he will tie into to Rangers of the New Republic in some way because I think they were Obviously incredibly intentional in leaving him alive uh, to have the ability to bring him back somewhere else. And it would make sense that he comes back um, through some sort of prison break or s- something like that. you know, Or just give us that uh, Star Wars prison show starring Giancarlo Esposito where it's him just becoming a shot caller in uh, New Republic prison i'd be down for that too but no i think it is sound really cool (laughs) right that actually sounds pretty rad (laughs) sounds like a cool show actually disney holla at your boy um but no i I agree with jim i think i think he i think it makes sense that he would come back in in that show and kind of be like the connective tissue between the mandalorian and the rangers of the new republic would be uh him
0: so can i bring up one point about the this season as an overall thing please one of the things that um, didn't sit well with me while we were filming it, uh, while while we were watching it. I was and... like, we filmed it? No, when? we didn't film it. While we were talking about it. And um, kind of as I've listened to other people talk about it was the Ahsoka cameo. And how she came in and it didn't really feel like Ahsoka. And I think I made a comment at the time that it could have literally been any Jedi and you would have gotten the same thing. Like she didn't, it did not need to be Ahsoka at that point. And... When watching the Disney gallery, they even commented on this that I heard before that the literally the only reason that they brought Ahsoka on was so that we could figure out Grogu's name. They needed someone on there who could communicate with Grogu through the force to find out Groger's name because they knew what Groger's name was before they like many episodes earlier, um, Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau did, but they didn't know how to present that in the show because obviously the child doesn't talk and um, doesn't like have much of a way of interacting with uh, the Mandalorian. So like how we need some way to get this out, and so they brought Ahsoka on just so we can find out the name, and I feel like that was. Kind of a disservice to the character.
1: Like, it's odd. <laughs> um, I'm glad you bring that up. It's odd to me too because they also make the comment during that. Uh, Dave Filoni, I believe, says like, "I didn't want to just bring her back to bring her back. I wanted to have a purpose behind it." And then, as you said, it's just to name Grogu, which to me says, um, whoever, it was, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, I don't know, was basically like, "We want to do an Ahsoka series," so get this character in this show. That's my suspicion there. Possibly I could be completely wrong. Like it could have come up after they saw the episode and saw fan reaction to it. Um, but it, it did feel odd. that that's the only reason they gave for the characters inclusion.
2: I, I mean, I, I said it when, when that episode came out and I still think it's true. I think, I think that episode was entirely, they used Ahsoka because they knew they were doing an Ahsoka show. And, and that episode is basically a backdoor pilot to the Ahsoka show, um, and I think and I think you're right. It could have literally been any Jedi, and it would have worked. But I think they put a- they put Ahsoka in because they knew like, hey, we're doing an Ahsoka show, so let's introduce her now because a it'll make the fanboys like us go nuts, but then the more casual fans will know who she is when we announce the series, and we'll have buy in from both camps. So I think the reasoning for it being Ahsoka has more to do with commercial com- commercial, commercial decision-making and less to do with n- – Haberdashery. Haberdashery. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I want to point out in real time, you made the joke about it being men's hats, and I went, wait a minute. Haberdashery does not mean what I think it means. I actually thought a haberdashery was like a, a, a habitat, like a biome.
0: Oh, and then no. Haberdashery it, is a hat maker. And
2: it's like, nope, it's a hat maker. So <laughs> – you know what's crazy is I write for a living and like do words for a living and I didn't know that. That's
0: I knew terrifying. that off the top of my head. I should just point that out. I didn't need to Google it.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I I think I think the inclusion of Ahsoka is it was uh, it was enjoyable, but I think it had more to do with we know we're doing this show, we need to make sure we build hype around it properly. Let's get Ahsoka in there.
1: Yeah, um, it certainly seems like that, but I it I feel like this might be a question that we're never really gonna know the the true or proper answer to. So,
0: and there's probably not even a proper answer. It could have been a lot of yeah. a lot of cogs moving at the same time, just all kind of came in together. It just it's sticking point. I did I I felt she was off. And another podcast I listened to, Sisters with Sabers, um, one of the hosts named her daughter Ahsoka. And she did not like the way Ahsoka was presented in the episode. She's like, it did not feel like Ahsoka, and I 100% agree with her. Um,
1: yeah, especially after seeing where she left off in in Rebels and seeing her in the last season of Clone Wars. I have to agree. It wasn't some crazy sticking point for me that I was, you know, horribly upset about. But I can certainly see um, the point of folks who do raise that as a as a uh, an irk irksome moment. But uh, it is what it is. So let's talk about some comic books. It's been a while. Alright, so uh, there was a bunch of comics um, that came out since we've last done our Comics Corner segments. Star Wars number 9, Darth Vader number 8. Bounty Hunters number eight, Star Wars Adventures Annual, and Star Wars Adventures number two. Uh, We're not going to talk about Bounty Hunters number eight today because uh, Jim hasn't had a chance to read it yet. So we'll probably talk about that in the new Dr. Afra during our next comics corner on our next episode. I didn't read Adventures Annual or Adventures number two. I don't think any of us read Annual, um, but Jim and Connor both read Star Wars Adventures number two, and there's not a lot to say there. So why don't we just start off with that?
2: yeah uh it, it's interesting. some of the the adventures books are so hit or miss. Some of them are genuinely engaging and entertaining and are, are worth the read. I felt that way about the uh Clone War's Battle Tales adventure series, that little five issue series. I enjoyed that. uh the Shadow of Vader and the Vader's Castle stuff is pretty solid but then with this uh, mainline Star Wars adventures. Sometimes you just get stuff that is not—it's not bad, but it's just like utterly forgettable. And this number two, which ends the two-issue arc, which is a very short arc, two
0: fifteen-page um, arcs. <laughs> it's Star Wars Adventures does that a lot. Is that they'll they'll have two? The way Star Wars Adventures works is it has two stories in every issue, and a lot of times they'll actually arc one of those stories across one, two, but two, three issues, which is weird when you have a full size comic book and you could just put the whole story into one comic book.
2: Yeah. Um, um I can't even remember what the backup story in number 2 was about. So there's I, that. I don't. Or the ba-
0: well the the backup story in number 2 the, the first one was the finishing up with the ray training and then the second issue was basically this is the, the one I had I kind of had a problem with it because it's where Kylo Ren um now is supreme leader. So it's between Uh, The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, but he has his mask, which we saw crushed and then reforged, but we also have seen he has his mask on the Rise of the Resistance ride in Disney World and Disneyland, and so his mask is always a touching thing. Issue because he has one, he doesn't have one, he had to reforge. She doesn't get a reforge. What is going on with his mask? But he has this mask in this issue, and he cornered Like he's trying to dominate this one planet, and he corners this one girl who's like, "I'm going to live forever, and we're going to fight your oppression." And now he's I like, "And he's like, okay, we'll fight this oppression and." She's gone, and they end, and they they're like we claim victory over this. I'm like, I read the last two pages four times. I'm like, are they miss? There's something missing here. They like skipped a whole page, like, and it a- felt
2: it felt very out of place for the character because it's like that's the character to me. It's like should not be in a children's book because it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, but we know Kylo Ren like he would have slaughtered the whole village. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, yeah and he's like he's getting into this conversation
2: yeah he's not gonna stop to talk to this person he would just kill them we that's what he does in the movies constantly like literally the rise of skywalker opens with him slaughtering people on mustafar so it's like yeah i was now i remember that it was super weird and then the the ray training little story arc very similar just sort of ends um, it was fine. I, it, I, yeah. It's just, it's, that's, that one word review for Star Wars Adventure and Star, Star Wars Adventures. It's fine.
0: All yes, right. I, I, must, <laughs> I must, I must, my one uh, comment that I have about uh, the annual Star Wars Adventure annual, which I did read, um, is that Duke it has one red. of my favorite characters on the cover. And is like one of the two stories, again, two stories, is about Jackson. And I absolutely love Jackson rabbit. and Kevin Scott um, wrote this one. And he likes, I, he, I I believe one of his favorite characters is also Jackson. Cause he is the, probably the only person to have written Jackson into canon.
2: <laughs> come on the pod, Kevin, come talk to us. I want to talk about, cause Kevin wrote that uh, shadow of Vader's castle that I was telling you guys about, Yes, which is it was, I was shocked. I was like, this is great. Like I thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, and it doesn't feel like a kid's book. So anyway, not to get off track, uh, let's get in. What do we want to do? We want to do. S- <laughs> well, speaking star- of
1: Vader, let's talk about Vader. Let's do so Vader. Uh, we had Star Wars Darth Vader number eight out this week. Uh, was it this week? No, it was last uh, week. A couple excuse of weeks. me, the sixteenth. Uh, so he is on Mustafar. This is part. Is this part three? I believe.
0: It is part, yes, part three, three of the eye.
1: Yes. Into the Uh, fire. So the emperor has basically um, dropped him on Mustafar and said, if you use the force, you die. You need to get back to understanding what it means to be a Sith. I'm tired of your weakness and your lies. Uh, I'm going to kill you if you don't make it through this trial. So he's dropped there. His suit's damaged. And we saw last time Ochi, uh, the Sith assassin from Rise of Skywalker, was introduced as well. As go ahead, Connor. The Eye of Webbish Bog. Perfect, man. Very nice delivery. Um, which is another thing that was actually uh, photographed and filmed for The Rise of Skywalker, but unlike Ochi, it never made it into the film. Uh, so this is a really cool thing that Greg Pak has brought into the comic, and we finally see Vader's confrontation with um, the Eye of Webbish Bog. And uh, something else that got brought into this, epi- uh, this episode, this issue, excuse me, um, Greg Pak, man, he's just all about bringing in obscure characters. So they never outright say this character's name. Uh, Ochi is talking to someone that shows up with with Death Troopers, who is an Umbaran, which is a, a species of like really pale people with white eyes. Um, but I'm 99 percent sure that this is sly Moore, who you see during the uh prequel trilogy with the supreme chancellor palpatine as one of his primary aides, knew that palpatine was a sith lord um and in legends i believe she gave birth to his son i'm not positive about that but uh the point Which is this actor... in
0: legends yeah uh um, trioculus probably not trioculus
1: i think no i think that's who it was um the point here is is that this character in Legends and in Canon has a lot of history with Palpatine, um, so I, don't I think, think it's that's
0: Slimore. Um, according I think... according
2: yeah, to Wiki... I, I according to Wikipedia, it is they they have Darth Vader number eight listed as one of her appearances.
1: Um, I digress. Um, oh, it is it uh, it is uh Triclops.
0: Trioculus? Or Triclops was a different
1: one. <laughs> oh, Trioculus. She oversaw the ex- a series of experiments on Bis studying the spontaneous generation of life, which produced the future Imperial warlord, Trioculus. Disappeared um, shortly into the Emperor's reign and was rumored to die in seclusion in the Ghost Nebula after giving birth to his biological son, Triclops. Uh, so, point is this character has uh, a lot of history with Star Wars and with uh, Darth Sidious, a.k.a. Uh, emperor palpatine so i thought this was a really cool um thing for greg Pak to include i really liked it and as we saw vader is kind of like half battle droid at this point and he's battling his way through this cave of fire lava creatures um and being taunted by the eye about his destiny kind of these half truths and questions taunting you know, making him think about Obi Wan and Luke and Padme, and yeah, I th- I thought I thought it was great.
2: The whole the whole sequence is a little reminiscent of uh, Luke's journey into the cave on Dagobah, um, except whereas the journey into the cave on Dagobah shows Luke his greatest fear, what this cave is showing Vader is what he wants and what he what he thinks he needs and what he actually needs are two different things. And I really like that. Plus, speaking of that first page, just once again, such an amazing, just a gorgeous opening page that is so well, like, structured. This, I mean, that goes for this entire issue, this entire run is how well laid out each page, page is. But you just start off this book with just such a, a beautifully constructed page. I, lo- I love it. And, and... As a whole, just as you you progress through this book, it's just more of Vader having to reconcile with the decisions he's made and reconcile with what he's become and what is he – and he's having to figure out what am I truly after. And you don't entirely get the answer in this issue, but you get the hints that what he's actually after – will have ramifications for the galaxy long after his death with him. Spoiler alert for those who haven't read the issue. Don't listen to this part, but with him receiving the Sith wayfinder at the end that we see in the rise of Skywalker, that to me poses like, okay, whatever he, he realized that he needs is going to play into that wayfinder, which I think is super exciting.
1: Yeah. So, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't read this issue yet, um, Don't listen to anything further. Uh, But yeah, Raphael uh, Yenko just is a phenomenal artist. And as you were saying, Connor, the way that these pages are laid out is awesome. Um, The action sequences with Vader fighting uh, these creatures, one of them that looks like a Baron of Hell from the Doom video game series, and then the eye of um, Webbish Bog, like haunting him and then slowly rising up out of the lava but i think my favorite part was when it made him see because it's this it's this spider crab looking thing that sits on top of this head in lava and it made vader see himself as anakin skywalker as the head and then it made him see luke and then it made him see the emperor and then he's just like screw it and trudges into the lava um and yeah gets the wayfinder which is Huge because that's how it was supposed to happen for Kylo Ren uh, originally in Rise of Skywalker.
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the the entire like the entire issue really was the previous issue left off with Vader going into this cave or this whatever it was, um, and the issue ended with him reaching the Eye of Webbish Bog. And so the entire issue is Vader trying to get to the Eye of Webbish Bog. And it's more of a psychological um, journey where he's being confronted with all these images um, and the eye just constantly asking him, like, who are you? Like, Vader keeps asking the eye, like, who are you, who's this that you're, who are you that you're talking to me? And I just repeats back to him, well, who are you? And it, 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 that's part of the, 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 the journey of Vader. He's, he's trying to figure himself out still. Um, <laughs> this is, you're looking at like, 22 years later, and he's still trying to figure out like, am I Vader? Am I Anakin? I don't know what I am. I don't know what I need. I don't know what I want. And that's kind of the whole thing is that at the end, he's given the wayfinder and it's still, it's like, I don't know if this is what you want or this is what you need, but this is what you're getting.
2: Well, and, and to tie into that page that JJ brought up where, where you see the three different heads that uh, the eye is sitting on Anakin's head, Luke's head, and the Emperor's head, and going into that line of questioning that you brought up, Jim, that is that is present throughout this issue, is you have I says, "What are you after? Do you what you want?" And it's him sitting on the head of Anakin Skywalker, and what Anakin Skywalker wants is just power. And then he says, "What you need," and that is the eye sitting on Luke's head, and what Vader thinks of when he sees Luke is he needs the familial that family connection. And then he says, or does it even matter? And he's sitting on the Emperor's head. And that is posing the question of, have you ever been in control this entire time anyway? Now, has any of this been your choices or has this all been pre-planned and pre-ordained by the Emperor? And you don't get answers to that question, which I kind of like. It It forces you as the reader to to think for yourself, like, has Vader been actively doing these things? Or has he just been, has has he played into the role he was given unwillingly? Um, and I don't have the answer, and that's part of the reason why I love this issue so much and why I continue to love this series, and I will shout it from the mountaintops that everyone needs to read this because it's so good, um, and it, it leaves us with, you know, Vader emerging from the eye without answering these questions, and now he has these questions moving forward of, like, well, what... He thinks he... He's starting to think he knows what he what he, what he he needs and what he wants, and I think, obviously, this is leading into him turning back to Anakin Skywalker, um, but it's just... I don't know. I love it.
1: Yeah, and uh, speaking of Anakin Skywalker, I thought it was cool that we got another nod to Revenge of the Sith by seeing his um, Republic Jedi starfighter at the very end of the issue before he looks up at Ochi and the droids. And good, I needed more parts. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was another fantastic issue, and I I can't wait to see where they they take it. Um, Greg Pak continues to surprise and delight. Uh, By pulling in all sorts of characters from, you know, every era of Star Wars. So, it's great. Um, But, yeah, we got to talk about the mainline Star Wars book. Uh, Charles Soule. And this is the first issue with a new artist. It's a new run, new artist. uh, Jan Basil uh, Dua. And this is part one, the Ancient Relic Operation Starlight. Um, So, the art not uh not bad but um not so much for me um it took me out of a little bit out of the book a little bit in a few different places uh i wasn't a huge fan of it uh but that's okay it's you know it's not the end of the world it's it's fine um but yeah the rebel alliance is in dire straits the empire has cracked their communication codes their fleets are scattered. They can't communicate with each other because if they do, the Empire shows up. Uh, so this issue is about them f- starting to work on finding a solution for that problem.
2: Yeah, on on the subject of the the art, I think it's it's fine. You know, you look at it's nothing. You're not, you don't like like look at the pages or the panels, and you're like, wow, that's beautiful. But at the same time, you're not like, oh god, I don't know what's going on. It's very middle of the road. Um, some of the character faces are a little off. Uh, everyone has very small eyes. That's a, I know that's very specific, but every single person has really small beady eyes, and it throws me off. Um, but yeah, it's I I, just, I part of me wishes like can we I like one thing that we've gotten with both bounty hunters and Vader is one artist this whole time, one writer, one artist working together, and I wish we could get that with this title, um, because it just. Having that aesthetic consistency, I think, is key to making a run memorable and cohesive. Um, but, you know, when it comes to, like, page layouts, the pages are pretty cleanly laid out. And, it you know, there's not a lot of clutter, which is nice.
0: It's fine. I yeah. don't usually pay attention to the art when I'm reading anyway. I'm more for the story. So as the art's not distracting and I can get through the story and I can understand what's going on, I'm all for it. And then, it, did uh, it. then it did its job. It's very, like early 2000s artwork. Um, yes. Like, great. You know, That's you, a great you, way to put it. You pick up an 80s comic, you know it's an 80s comic immediately. You pick up a 70s comic, you know it's a 70s comic. This kind of feels early 2000s, just the way it's drawn. This yeah. could have been a
2: Dark Horse book and I would have believed it.
1: Yeah. Um, so as far as the story, they need to find this droid on Coruscant that has a lost language. It's the only remaining source of this lost language. It's the only droid that can, uh, translate it and teach it to, uh, the rebel Alliance. They can use it as a new system to communicate without the empire cracking their, their codes and their communications. Um, so they send the, um, Pathfinders, uh, is the squad led by Poe Dameron's father to Coruscant's, uh, museum of antiquities to retrieve this droid. uh, I guess what struck me most about this uh, issue is that one of the pathfinders uh, who's causing this distraction uh, for the guards and the curator of the museum so that the rest of the squad can get the droid and get out is sentenced to death and... then killed off screen. And he was and my they- favorite. Yes. So th- they, they just
2: breeze over it.
1: <laughs> I'm not looking for some like, I don't want you to dry out some like brutal death scene for me, but they just say you're sentenced to death and then you never see the character again or anything happen with that. My thought was like, oh, he's sentenced to death and the Pathfinders will will rescue him. The character's Needle. He's uh, an alien. I forget the species name.
0: He is one of my favorite species, a Cormian. Um if Yariel poofs uh, species from That's the Jedi right. Council. Jedi
1: Master on the on the Council, correct?
0: Yes, he he was one of my favorite species, and so I really liked him. And you're right, he just killed. He's killed off screen, and I like. Yeah. And I'm like, is he coming back? Are they going to save him? And they just like at the end of the issue, it was like he died for this. And then very... they continue laughing about and making jokes about stuff.
2: Like, and I w- I want to point out the absurdity of this too. In the beginning of the issue, before they even send him on the mission. Luke volunteers to go and Leia is like, no, we're too important. So we're going to send these nerds
1: instead. No, that's not why. (laughs) She points out that Vader and the Emperor are there and can sense them both. That to me was fine. I had no issue with that. That actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, we want these moof
0: milkers to go because if they die, nobody will care. She, even yeah. them. <laughs> she says
2: you shouldn't go and I shouldn't either. It's too great of a risk.
1: Well, she's not wrong. Again, I, just... I, I don't see. It's just like when Vader went to Endor, he shouldn't have been there. And clearly he shouldn't. I mean, it all worked out, but I digress. The point stands. Uh, I think that logically makes a lot of sense. I just, I, yeah, this issue was is fine, but the end, I'm just like, what? Like, no one went to rescue him. The character is just dead, and we're just finding out about it. As Poe Dameron's father, whose first name I forget, Kest. Uh, what's it? Oh, what is I, it? Like
2: Kest Kest Dameron. Kest Bay Bay is his mother. Bay is his mother, and his father's Kess, K E S.
1: Is just arguing. Yeah, Kest is arguing with three PO about the droid and making sure it works. He says the data corrupted. Kest is upset. Needle died to bring this here, and it's just like, oh, okay, so. You didn't rescue him. We don't find out. Nothing happens there. He's just dead. I just oh, yeah. thought that was very odd. And the droid
2: doesn't work, so it was all for nothing. Yeah, I mean, I mean all, I like think...
1: clearly the droid is gonna is gonna that's, work. That's that's, that's coming up.
2: <laughs> it's but it's I... obviously a red herring. Yeah, but it, it just as a standalone issue, it makes you go like, wait, what? So what was the point of all this? I think it's yeah. gonna obviously fit in. In the grander story, but as like a single issue, it's like, well, what a waste of time.
0: Uh, so what did we not get in this issue that we've been getting in all the other issues lately? There was not a
2: High Republic reference, I think. Rather oh. than
1: No, Commander they, Zara. Well, hold oh, on. They also, it,
2: they referenced Project Starlight, and it's the Starlight Citadel,
0: which Starlight, is the Republic. The Starlight Beacon. And if you want to know what the Starlight Beacon looks like, it's in this issue. Oh, is it? Is it an Easter egg? If you go to like one of the last pages where they um have the uh cover of the High Republic number one, the Starlight Beacon is that thing that is uh highlighted on the uh the cover of High Republic number
1: one. It's not in the uh, digital issue. It must be printed only.
0: But it's also if you go look at the cover of. Um, Light of the Jedi. It's on there.
1: It's in the background. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I saw it there. I, I just don't think the digital version of the comic okay. got it.
2: Yeah, but that that the Project Starlight was the only High Republic reference. But I think that's one. where
0: they're going. I think they're going oh, to yeah. the Starlight Beacon. Yeah, no, no that's that's where they're, they're, it,
2: they're for for reasons. At the moment, we don't know why, but they they did point out like that's that's what Operation Starlight is. Is they're they're trying to find this High Republic Beacon for like i said for reasons
0: at i the assume moment. we don't know why <laughs> starlight beacon is a um a communication hub and i assume yes. that's because they keep bringing up we need a way to communicate with the rebellion that the empire can't track and i that 100 percent like as soon as i'm reading it after reading light of the jedi um that the 100 percent that uh that's the reason that they're looking for this thing so that they can communicate. So whether the droid works or not, they still need a way to communicate out to the masses.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and this is just a setup for another High Republic inclusion, which, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as it makes sense the way they're doing it. Especially uh,
0: the timing. The next issue comes out same time as the High Republic issues. Now you're going to get that crossover where it makes more sense. Because everything, you're now reading the actual High Republic stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll find out. Um, it, w- it was an okay issue. Um, big setup issue. Big setup yeah, issue. Yeah, it was a big so. setup issue with a very head-scratching moment at the end there. But uh, we'll find out next time. And um, I think that's going to do it. Uh, Jim mentioned the High Republic. Uh, so really quick on that. Um, we did announce last issue. Uh, we have a new star Wars book club and the light of the Jedi, the first book in the high Republic publishing initiative is going to be the first book that we discuss. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Jim Connor and I are all in the book club along with, uh, three or four other writers on the site. And I think we already have one patron signed up as well. So we'd love for you to join us. Uh, you can join through our Patreon, um, We're running it through our Discord. Um, The minimum tier for that is $2. Uh, So we'd love to have you. You can find out more about our Patreon at AIPTComics.com where you can find all of us and more Star Wars content. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at AIPTComics. And if you'd like to shoot us some feedback, ask us a question that uh, we'll read on the show or just toss us any uh, recommendations, we'd love to hear from you. You you can email us TalkingTontons at AIPTComics.com and that's going to do it today guys uh, so thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the show we have a great time doing it uh, the next time you hear from us will be in the new year uh, so we're going to be talking about uh, what's coming for Star Wars in 2021 and a lot of other fun stuff uh, so th- thanks again for hanging out with us today guys uh, we hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time